Please turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. You know, it's been an interesting study as we've been walking through Galatians. You know what I realize, it relates directly to this passage, is we don't get to choose our relatives, do we? <laughs> we don't get to choose them. We've got some really good ones, and then we've got Crazy Uncle Bob, right? And if there is no Crazy Uncle Bob, maybe you are Crazy Uncle Bob. <laughs> uh, the interesting part of that is, is that's exactly what, how the law and grace work. And who you have relationships with, and where your relationships are, um, have a tendency to define you. Or we let them define us. And so this morning we're going to be looking at our relationship to faith and the law. And as we do that, and as we read through this passage, you're going to see uh, you're going to see covenants. You're going to see the law's purpose, and you're going to see the law's relationship to grace. And so let's pick up in verse 15 of chapter three, and we're going to read all the way through verse 29. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds refer, as referring to many, but rather to one. And your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, been cl have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to us about 
what you're communicating in your word. And I pray that only that which is true will be known, that which is necessary for our individual growth, our individual relationship with you, and the expression of you in faith to this world will be applied by your Holy Spirit to our lives. Father, I ask you to speak clearly to each and every one of us this morning, with, with no exceptions. And I pray that the name of Jesus Christ will be exalted above all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we begin, or he begins, by talking about covenants. We don't use the word covenant so much anymore. We use the word contract or agreement or um, other things like that. But he begins talking about covenants. And he does it by drawing parallels from the human covenants. And he says, once they're ratified, and he starts there and he, and he begins to make some points from that. Once the covenant has been ratified, there's a couple things that don't happen. He said, nobody sets it aside. When we come to terms and we come to an agreement and everybody signs off, it's done. You don't set it aside just because you want to. You've made an agreement. It's binding. And everyone usually at that point, you know, we don't usually sign something until we're satisfied with the terms and conditions of the, the like when you sell your house. Somebody want, comes through and they want this china hutch that's been passed down from your great, 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 great grandmother. You won't sign until that's not in the contract, right? We would not turn that over. Once the contract is ratified, everybody has agreed, it's not set aside. He says also once it's ratified, no one adds conditions to it. It's settled. You don't go back and say, well, but this was also included or we're going to do this as well. No, we've already agreed to this. It's already been settled. And so you don't go back and do that unless you're going to re-sign again because that's a change. You have to come to agreement. So now he goes back to the covenant made to Abraham and his seed. And the promises were made to both Abraham and his seed. And when we think about the seed of Abraham, some people think about all the nations or they think of Israel, but that's not who the promise was made to here. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed, who was Christ Jesus. And so the promise is made, and I believe it's Genesis 17, if you want to go back and read it, that the covenant that was made with Abraham are made to him and Christ. And so he goes on. Now remember what was going on here. There were Judaizers that had come through and the, the faith in Jesus Christ and salvation had been spreading throughout the world in Asia Minor and all up through Galatia. And they came in and they said, yes, it's faith in Christ, but you have to keep all of the law as well. And so he begins to lay these arguments out to deal specifically with that issue. And he tells them that these promises were made 430 years before the law ever came into existence. Four, four centuries and three decades before Mount Sinai ever happened, 
God made a covenant with Abraham in Christ. Which had not been changed by the law. In other words, the law never changed that particular covenant. And we know from... <laughs> when the law was given, it wasn't... He was not adding to the promise that he gave to Abraham. See, the promise preceded the law. So you can't add, to the, add the law to the promise claiming it was first. See, they're like, well, no, no, we've had this law all this time. You've just now come into this idea of faith. So you have to add this back in as well, is what the, their argument was. And what he was saying is, no, faith preceded that. Because remember, Abraham... It says that Abraham saw my day and was glad. That by faith Abraham went up with Isaac. And his faith was accounted to him as righteousness. And so faith preceded the law. And so it's always been faith. It's never been anything other. So the law did not invalidate the promises made to Abraham and Christ. The law had no effect on the commitment that God had made. No effect. The inheritance promised to Abraham was not based on law. It was granted by promise. It was granted by promise. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. You ever had somebody promise you something and then not do it? God, don't do that. When God promises, He fulfills every time. And so God promised it. He promised it to them. And so Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. He's the fulfillment. Because see, His faith was in Him. He saw my day and was glad. The promise was to Him in Christ. And He saw it. And that's the relationship. Because they were related the Judaizers were related to the law, but were related to Christ. Now, any of them who chose Christ could have walked away from that. But see, it's always been God's plan to bless us with Christ. It's always been God's plan. It's always been faith. The law was never written to save anybody. The law that God gave was never meant to save anyone. Never. And so, then why did he give the law? Why even give the law? That's a great question you have. He addresses it right here. He, he says, well, why the law then? So we see covenants that God had made them and how they work. But we see the law's purpose. See, the law came, he tells us here, the law came because of transgressions. Until the seed would come. To whom the promise had been made. He gave the law because of transgressions, because of sin. And if you read in Romans 5, it even tells us that the law was given to increase sin. Listen, how many of you have never had a desire for something in the house or a food that was served? Until somebody tells you you can't have it till later. Right? That chocolate cake is for later. 
Those brownies are for later. After service. All that's for later. You cannot have that. As soon as something becomes forbidden, it seems much more exciting, doesn't it? You ever been to... uh, Anybody ever been to New York and to the Museum of Natural History? How many of y'all went up and saw the Hope Diamond when you were there? I did. Man, that thing... You know, it's so funny. I actually expected it to be a little bigger, right? I mean, it's a big I mean, it's a big diamond. Don't get me wrong. But as much talk as there was about this thing, because we had watched documentaries and all that before we went. This was years ago. I expect it to be a little bigger. But it's behind all these layers of protection and glass and crazy alarms and silent things and beams of light you can't see and... And uh, it's funny how things are kept away from us that makes us, we want to go seated. You know, and that's part of it. And so the law's purpose, see, the law's purpose came because of transgressions. It was ordained to teach us about sin. Because if you don't know something is wrong, you'll just keep doing it. If you don't know what you're doing isn't right, we just keep doing it. It's to inform us of sin. Why does God want us to know that we sin? That sets us up for grace. And so that's part of why the law came. See, the law is not contrary to the promises of God. It was just unable to impart life. See, behavior does not impart life. Changing your behavior... And so don't check out on me now. Changing your behavior does not make you a better Christian. Boy, that's all we do though. In church today, we want to tell you how to be a better man or a better woman. How to fix your behavior. How you can do this. How you can stop sinning. You ever heard this one? Well, listen, if you struggle with lying, read all the verses online and quote them when you're tempted to lie. You ever heard that before anybody? That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says the mind that stayed on Christ will be kept in perfect peace. You don't focus on your sin. We're to put our focus and our affection and our attention on the one who died and gave his life for us. His name is Jesus Christ. You know what? When I'm focused on Christ, man, I don't want anything to do with lying. Not when I'm focused on lying. You know when I'm focused on lying? I really don't want anything to do with him. Let's just be honest. We've got this all backwards and we've been teaching this stuff. That's the problem. <laughs> Behavior does not impart life. I cannot crawl around on this stage and meow and become a cat. Some of you are hoping for an example. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Any more than me standing in my garage makes me a car. Behavior does not change who we are. Who we are dictates what we do. And that's the shortcoming of the law. So why is this important? Because we they were telling them to be a better Christian, to be more rightly related with God, to do the right things in their life that... It's faith plus all this this list of things. 
How many of you failed at the list of things you had as a Christian? Look at there. Welcome to the group. Welcome. You're not alone. Isn't that good news? You know, when I made mistakes as a, as a child, and there were many, I didn't stop being my parents' son because the relationship was there. It doesn't break the relationship. That's what makes us right. Now, does that mean that, are you saying, Pastor, we can go sin, do whatever, it doesn't matter? That's not what I'm saying. Because a Christian rightly related to Christ, rightly walking with Him, doesn't have those desires. Doesn't want to do that. Doesn't want to participate in that. And even when they're lured to it, because we are, because we have a fallen flesh, our bodies, you know, give it 10 years and see if you have new creaks and pains and moans. You ever wake up, I'm talking to us, in the latter categories of life. You ever wake up and for the first time some joint hurt that you didn't even know there was a problem with? Like, you're like, why is that hurting? I haven't done anything. That never happened as a kid. I could fall down and I'd bounce right back up. You remember that? Long ago. That's because it's decaying. And the same decay that our bodies are left with, if we're trying to do it by religious rules and religious rites and these things, they cannot impart life. Because Jesus Christ is our life. He doesn't give us life. He is our life. There is no life apart from Him. That tells me He doesn't give it away. It's Him. If it's apart from him, if something I can give away, it's apart from me. So apart from Christ, you will never have life. And you're never going to experience life if you're not walking with him. If you're trying to do it, you ever pray and say, God, I really want to, I really want to bless you. I want to do something for you. I pray that you'll bless this thing that we're doing for you. You ever been there? They don't work either. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. Isn't that amazing how the whole Bible starts to tie together? He wants me following the plan that he laid out for me from the foundation of the world. And when I'm in lockstep with him, then I'm walking with Christ. Then I'm experiencing life. Then I'm seeing the things around me that... Where he's already worked and began to prep the ground. Behavior does not impart life. It reveals our shortcomings. It reveals them. The law's job was to shut everyone up under sin. So the promise might be given to those who have faith in Christ. You see, understanding that you're a sinner... Is the first step in coming to faith in Christ. And that was the law's purpose. See we can't come to Christ if we don't know we have a need. That's the problem today. Because anytime you tell people that they're sinning. Or that they're doing the wrong thing. They call you a hater. And they call you a bigot. And it doesn't have anything to do with that. If they can remove. And this is part of the enemy's plan. If he can remove the idea of sin out of the world, then there's no need for Christ. 
So don't tell me I'm wrong. See, we watch tolerance change over a period of time. Tolerance used to mean that me and Bubba could have different beliefs and that we just, we admitted that we have different beliefs. Now tolerance means I have to tell you what you believe is right or I'm intolerant. And let me tell you, anybody that's putting hope for the future, hope for life and anything but Christ is wrong. They're never going to find life there. It's only found in Christ. And doing it His way. And doing the things the way that God put it down. God's not a discriminator. God's, <laughs> he loves, He made us. He made every one of us. Red, yellow, black, white, green, blue, and pink, and purple polka dotted. He made every one of us. And he's got certain responsibilities and roles for each and every one of us. So what is the law's relationship to grace then? We're kept in custody under the law until faith came. Not freedom, confinement. That's what the law does. It confines you. We're kept there. We talked about that this morning. I thought that was so funny. You guys tee me up. It's so funny. You guys tee it up every time. Where's Dave? He's in the nursery, right? Serving. That's Dave's faith. You got to have faith to serve in the nursery. (laughs) And so the law, putting more on somebody, that doesn't make them free. It confines them. Jesus said, if... I set you free. You're free indeed. Jesus is the only one who provides freedom. We think, well, I've got freedom to do whatever I want to do. That's true. But you know, your freedom can lead to greater freedom or it can lead to imprisonment. I'm free to rob a bank. But that'll lead to imprisonment. Less freedom. The choices I make lead to greater freedom or less freedom. Think about this. Some of the areas that you don't feel free in or you feel trapped in, are they from choices you made? Yep. And so the law's relationship to grace. The law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. Now, you know, we don't consider calling a tutor for things we know, do we? We call a tutor to teach us about the things we don't. I'm really struggling with math. Or I'm struggling with language arts. Or I'm struggling with, with PE or whatever it is. Most people didn't struggle. That was usually our, our easy A or B. How do you get a B in PE? Because you don't show up with <laughs> All my teachers are going, well, I can tell you how. But you go to a tutor so they can show you something you don't already know. And that was the law's purpose, was to inform us of something we didn't know. You know what's really sad, though? I bet most of us don't even know the law. When we think of the law of, that God gave, we think of the, what, the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not. Man, there's so much more to it than that. You have to go back and read the whole thing. That's just a section of it. 
there was ritual, ritual cleansings. There was certain ways to sacrifice animals. There were certain sacrifices for different sins. There was individual, there was nation sacrifices. There was um, leaving the land barren on the seventh year. I mean, there was all this stuff. And then it got only worse when man got involved because we started adding laws to that. So I'm not supposed to work on Sunday or the Sabbath day. So that means that you cannot travel further than this from your house. Otherwise, you're working. This is a true, this is one of the laws that were written. So what happened is, is guys would take a rock from their house and keep it with them so that they were not breaking the distance. See, man will always find a workaround. It's crazy. Well, I'm good. I'm good with God. Self-righteousness. I'm really okay because I got my rock with me. Listen, unless your life is built on the rock, you're not okay. You're not okay. You're in big trouble. And so the law was our tutor. See, once faith came, you're no longer under tutor. See, once I get it, once I find out that little, you know, sometimes, you ever been trying to figure something out? Maybe a lot of times it's math, right? But when you figure this one piece out, then it all kind of makes sense. It all falls into place. It could be all you computer programmers, you like this one piece and then everything works or whatever your profession is. I don't need a tutor anymore, do I? Because I've got it now. Once I understood that I was a sinner and that I needed salvation, I don't need the law anymore. Now, so are you saying that the law doesn't matter and we can just throw it out? We don't have to listen to anything it says? Jesus didn't do away with it. He said he came to fulfill it. And for years, what I believed was, well, once I'm in Christ because he fulfilled it, and I fulfilled it because he fulfilled it. Right? Positional righteousness. And I think we are righteous positionally. But what I also found is that when I walk with the Spirit of God, He doesn't lead me to murder my neighbor or to covet his stuff or to lust or to do the top ten. He leads me into those things. So the sourcing changes from self-effort to being led by the Spirit of God. The behavior looks the same, but one is self-righteous and one is, is genuine righteousness. So it's not the behavior that changes you, it's when you find life in Christ. And so once you've been saved, the law's done its job. You're no longer under the tutor. See, we're all sons of God who are in Christ. Salvation by faith means adoption into God's family. When we're all baptized into Christ, we were all baptized into Christ and clothed with Him. Well, when was I baptized into Christ? When I went and got in the water? No. That's all he's talking about here. This is not talking about water baptism. When you put your faith in Christ, you are placed into Christ and He comes into you. And that's when you're baptized into Christ. Baptism pictures is a picture of that. That's what water baptism is. It pictures your relationship with Christ. I have died to myself and I'm raised to walk in newness of life. Not because of the water, but because Jesus Christ transforms and changes my life from the inside out. 
And the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And that's how it works. It's not our effort, ladies and gentlemen. It's his work. Now we're going to come to verse 28. Which is one of the most misused verses I have ever encountered in ministry. At least lightly. And I'm going to go back and read it to you. Because this is a big deal. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I have had. I cannot tell you. How many people have taken that. To completely destroy. The responsibilities God gives to men and women. Well I can do everything that anybody else can do. I can do what she can do. Because we're one in Christ. Or I can do what he can do. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about here. My responsibility as a husband doesn't go away because of this verse. Guys, you ain't getting out that easy. What he's talking about is, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ... He will save you. The salvation is the same. Whether it's the Jews, the Greeks, men, women, children. Those who are are walking on the other side of the planet. Those who don't speak English. Those who don't even have a written language. If they put their faith in Christ, they will be saved. That's what the verse is talking about. Nothing else. It's a misrepresentation. It's... Jesus of God's word. It's cherry picking. Listen. We can take the word of God and tell you suicide is okay. You want that one? Oh, what, what are you talking about? Well, I prayed and I asked the Lord to lead me and I opened the Bible and it fell open and I looked down and I put my finger and it said, Judas went out and hung himself. And I went, oh! And I prayed again. I said, that must be a mistake. And I let my Bible fall open. I put my finger there again and said, go and do that likewise. <laughs> Which is the most stupidest thing I've ever heard. But people read their Bible and seek the Lord that way. Ridiculous. It's meant to be understood in context, folks. Jesus, listen, anybody... Who puts their faith in Christ. He'll save them. He'll save them. That's what he's saying in that verse. That's what he's talking about. It's not a rewriting of God's directives. They were. I mean they used to look at Gentiles as dogs. Outside of the family. Outside of the faith. And what he's saying here. Is it don't matter whether you do agree. Women, honestly, back then were considered less. I think that that I think that's a misunderstanding of the Word of God. You know, the only thing that God made that He said wasn't good was when He made man, and He was alone. And he said it wasn't good for man to be alone. That's the only thing He said wasn't good. And then He made Eve. And it got worse. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
The men, look the men point. Did you see that? All the men went, don't move at all. Just kidding. He made Eve. And she completed him. Because he knew we were incomplete without them. That we were a mess. And so, Abraham's descendants are not determined by birth. They're determined by faith. So if you put your faith in Christ, you're a descendant of Abraham. Of the family of faith. Isn't that cool? So, what do we take away from the study this morning? I think there's a few things. We take away the fact that the law and grace are not at odds with one another. They're not. They're, compl- they're complementary. The law shows us how much we need grace. So don't put your faith in the law to make you righteous. Only your faith in Christ can do that. Acting better doesn't make you better. It's the old story of the little little boy got sent told go sit in the corner. He said, Well I might be standing up on the out in or sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's a heart thing. It's a heart deal. That action did not him sitting down did not make him better. He's just avoiding wrath. <laughs> his heart wasn't there. That's why God, the eyes of the Lord, roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are completely His. You know, that was our prayer one Sunday, about a year ago. I remember that. Somebody looked up the verse and put it out there on the, on the sign. We just put the verse out. That's the only thing that was out there. The eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are completely His. To see who would look. And who would say, I want to be found there. Interesting. And so they're not at odds with one another. But don't put faith. Don't put faith in the law. And whether or not you have a quiet time. And whether or not you have a regular everyday prayer life that you miss. You know, I remember. (laughs) You know, there was a list we used to have of the things that God tells us to pray for. And I used to go through it every night. I used to pray every night before bed and kind of go through that. And it, yeah, have you ever, anybody ever done that? Just don't raise your hand. Have you ever done that? Anybody besides me? And it became hollow after a while. It became something I did, but I didn't feel comfortable unless I did it. Y'all understand, right? And then one night I was praying. And I remember, I remember as plain as day, God said, are you done? Now, why don't you talk to me about what you're really concerned about? God sees through all that. He don't care if you play church. You can play church or put on a good show. You're going to fool us, but you're never going to fool God. He's looking for hearts, ladies and gentlemen. He's not looking for a show. You want to show, <laughs> I can tell you where to go. It ain't going to be here. I don't put now showing on my sign. And it ain't my sign, it's the Lord's sign. If we, you know, the only time I would like to put now showing, I would like to follow it with the Shekinah glory of God. 
because His presence is on this place. Amen? That's the way it should be. It's saying about us or coming up with gimmicks. Why don't we just live honestly and tell people about Jesus? Because we're so in love with Him, we can't help it. I think that's the heart of the remnant. Something genuine and authentic and true. Which leads us to the second takeaway. Don't rely on yourself to live out your Christian life. See, we become righteous by grace through faith. The transformed life we've received is not expressed by legalistic means. It's not. It is expressed in the same way we received it, by faith. He even tells us in scripture, as you receive me, so walk ye in me. I don't know why that's such a foreign concept. When we come to faith in Christ, here's what happens. And if you've never done this, if you've never put your faith in Christ, I hope you'll hear me this morning because I'm talking to you as well. When you come to faith in Christ, there's, some, there's a conviction that comes over your life that says, man, I'm a sinner. I've got a problem. And there's another conviction that says, and you, you see Jesus in there, and you'll know he's your hope. Because the penalty for your sin is death. And Jesus went to the cross and was buried and died was buried and three days later rose from the grave. And there's something in that moment that says, I need him, you need me. Turn your life over to me and be saved. And when we do that, he comes in and changes us from the inside out. Not before, you don't clean yourself up and come to him. A dirty rag cannot clean up a, a dirty vessel. <laughs> you ever done that before? Now you're smearing grease all over it. Doesn't work that way. But when he does come in, and when he does change, in that same way where we realize that we're not enough, and we come to him and he tells us something and we do it, in the same way you receive me, so walk ye in me. So when he tells us something, we do it. When he tells us the next thing, we do it. Maybe it's to weep with this person today. Maybe it's to laugh and rejoice with somebody who got a promotion. Or a new diagnosis. Maybe it's to be an ear for somebody. I'm going to tell you, that was some of the hardest training I ever went through in seminary. When we were forced to listen to people. And not give them any advice. <laughs> and it's, I'm, I'm just being, we're going to have to edit this. Um, I'm being, there was a guy, and when that was going on, and he was going to sign people, I was playing. I actually, I was like, Lord, please don't give me that guy. Because he had all these problems. He kept bringing them all up to the, and guess who I got? And I just sit there and listen. Not give any advice. It was killing me. And when it was over, he gave me a big hug and he told me, thank you. He said, I feel so much better. And I didn't do nothing. 
Don't listen. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. It was awful. <laughs> but who's that about? Me. Therein is the problem. We want to take some credit in our service. And it's got to be all about him. All of it. All of it. It's not about me. It's not about me. That cross was about me. This is about him. Every breath we take is about him. We think we add him to our lives. The Bible says he is our life. Do you believe that? Steve and I were talking about that this morning. Either he is your life and you live that way or he's not. It's all these other things. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to have this great future. We're going to have this. We're going to have this giant um, account so that when we retire, we have all this money. What if God wants you to have no money and use that for business? Because he wants you to trust him to take care of you. Well, he's going to have to tell me that. I understand that. Would you like me to start praying you'll do that? Because the truth is, you don't have no money. You don't have any money. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to who? The Lord. We're stewards. Anybody ever studied that word? Did you know what a steward was? I'm off for a rail here. It don't matter. What time is it? Oh, I get a little time. James, don't hold the sign up, James. A steward, there was a governor back then. And the governor oversaw an area of about like the size of two uh, counties that we know today. And there was a steward that was responsible for all the stuff, all of the governor's money and his wealth that that he ruled over. And the second nicest house in the whole place is the one the steward lived in, but he didn't own anything. He was just responsible for it. And when he calls us stewards of him, of when he gives you Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we're a steward of that. We've got a responsibility. You know, we talk about the gift of the pastor shepherd and, or a leadership gift. I'm going to tell you something. You're all stewards. You're all shepherds. There are people in your life that need you. Not because of what you can bring, but because of what is inside of you. And you think, well, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm super shy. And I like to kind of hide. and I don't like anybody to bother me. And if the Lord needs me, he's going to force me out. So I'm just going to kind of stay over here. And, you know, if, if Jesus loves you. And that's extreme. Well, I'm really loud, and man, God can use that guy because he is so loud. He's out there. He just, everybody talks to everybody. How many of you introverts are drawn to those people? Those people scare you, don't they? The other introvert over there that's sitting there really quiet, you kind of can get up to know them and talk with them and... So don't think God can't use you if you're not loud and out there. 
The enemy will give a million reasons why you can't use. And I'm going to give you one. His name is Christ. His name is Jesus. He can do it. Listen. He can take a deaf mute and let him talk. He can take a man who's preaching and they can hear it in 17 different languages. He could take a guy who's standing out who had murdered somebody who's, you know, who's standing and, and use him to lead a nation. That was shipped down a river in a basket. He can use King David and Jesus being his line who also murdered somebody. We kind of pretty it up. We pretty up the cross. We give, we put a little effeminate Jesus on there with a little drip of blood coming down. It's by it says you couldn't even tell he was a man. You know, I've gotten I've gotten whiskers caught in things before, and that hurts, man. They ripped his whole beard out. We don't even have we don't even have a clue today. We live so casually with our Christianity instead of urgently. How many of you know somebody needs the Lord? Don't put all your, everybody put their hand down. Don't raise your hand when I ask this question. How many of you prayed for him this week? See, I hope you said yes, but if you didn't, no sense of urgency. Why? This goes back to what you and I were talking about. Because this ain't fresh. That's the problem. We want to do it by law instead of by grace. I don't want to scare you into it. Because I ain't going to do you no good. That's just more of that same. What I want to do is confront the truth though. I ought to be so in love with Jesus that that's all I talk about. So don't rely on yourself. Three. This one will be shorter. Christian frustration comes from trying to live for him. You've been frustrated in your walk. I'm going to try harder. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. And the harder you try, nothing changes. I understand. And I know why it doesn't work. Because law doesn't bring life. But grace does. So trying harder, stop trying and start trusting. Say, Lord, I'm not even going to come up with anything, but I'm going to do everything you show me. You say, well, he doesn't speak to me. Well, maybe that's because you haven't done anything he showed you. Why would he keep talking to you? Why would he keep talking? Do you talk to people who ignore you? Right? I don't talk to people who ignore me. I stop hiding with them. It's the wrong decision, <laughs> but that's the truth. If you ignore me completely, I just, what, why waste my breath? Return to the joy of your salvation, ladies and gentlemen. The excitement of knowing him and his word, talking with him in prayer and serving him as he leads in the situations of life. And so we rest, and as we rest, we resume. Because there was a time we all did that when we were first saved. Then his new song used to sing him, but the cold water committee showed up. Well, you'll settle down as you mature in Christ. You'll get a grip. 
Let me tell you something. If getting a grip is becoming like them, I don't want a grip. I want a God who's madly in love, who's chasing us down because he loves us so much. He's sacrificing his own son just so he can be in a relationship with you. And then we're casual. You know, (laughs) the world needs grace, folks. They need grace. They really do. I read a story of this man. He was laying sprawled out across three seats in this movie theater. And the usher saw him and he walked up to him and he he says, excuse me, sir, you can only have one seat. And the man went, "Mm." and he's like, he got a little perturbed with the guy. So he said, sir, you're going to have to get up. He didn't move or nothing. He just laid there. And he said, sir, if you don't move, I'm going to have to go get my manager. And the guy said, "Mm." and so the guy got into a little huff and he, quietly walked out of there, got his manager, came back. The manager said, excuse me, sir, I'm going to need you to sit up in your seat. You can't be laying there. And uh, he said, mm-hmm. and the manager said, sir, if you don't sit up, I'm going to have to call the cops. And the guy said, mm-hmm. and so he, they went in and they called the cops. And the policeman got there and he said, sir, what is your name? The guy says, Bob. Bob. And he said, where are you from? And he said, the balcony. (laughs) The man didn't need the law. He needed some grace. And that's where the world is. They're laying out there all busted up and broken. And we're giving them law. But they need grace, folks. They need somebody to care for them. Get them back on the journey. And that's the way this thing works. And when you pray, I'm telling you, when you pray and live for the Lord, things happen. It may not be overnight. It might take time. But I'm going to say everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.